Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. Individual employees, they now have the buying power in the modern companies, and the finance team is still using 20-year-old tools. And that's really where we see the opportunity for distributed spend management. That was Andrew Hogue, founder and CEO of TeamPay, and he is our special guest this week. This is episode 115 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Andrew grew up in North Dakota, went to a small liberal arts college near Minneapolis, and then moved to Silicon Valley. He is currently based in New York, where he started TeamPay in late 2016. Finance teams today are still using 20-year-old technology in many cases, so TeamPay started with the idea of how they can help companies control and manage access to their bank accounts across all of their employees. In modern companies today, every employee makes a purchasing decision, and TeamPay is a solution that helps enforce the company's policies, helps them stay in compliance, and provides visibility across the organization. Andrew talks about blockchain and smart contracts and how they might be used in this space in the future. He also has some great advice for those just starting in our industry. We've got a great episode today, so let's get started. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive in. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you're currently living, things like that. Yeah, sure. So I actually started my career in computers quite young. I grew up in North Dakota, of all places, and was very fortunate to have a father who was a mainframe programmer. So I grew up in technology as a young kid, and then went to university in a small liberal arts school outside of Minneapolis. And after that, I got tapped to move out to Silicon Valley, which is kind of really where I think you know, my more modern career took off. I spent the first part of my career building supercomputers at NASA, which was kind of an engineering dream job, and then moved over during the dot-com to a security company called Verisign and rode that from the IPO, 140 people up to 3,100, which was quite the roller coaster back in the early 2000s. Currently based in New York, I had a small startup I sold in San Francisco in 2012, spent a few years overseas, primarily in Germany and Berlin, and then moved back to New York to start TeamPay in late 2016. Okay. Well, let's dive into TeamPay. Tell our audience a little bit about what TeamPay does. Yeah. So having been kind of a career operator and realizing that I had better control over the software my team was developing than I did the money they were spending. I uh, just felt like it was time for kind of a new paradigm. I spent a bunch of time, probably almost six months, trying to talk myself out of starting Team Pay because I wasn't really sure if I was that in love with the market. And what I found digging in is that finance teams really are struggling using 20-year-old tools. I think the biggest innovation in the finance tech stack lately has been you get to take a picture of a receipt instead of stapling it to a piece of paper. And that's not really innovation, right? That's just digitization of a paper-based process. And so TeamPay really started with this very simple premise of how do we help companies control and manage access to their bank account across all their employees? And I think that all their employees part is really important because when I started my career working in the Valley, if I went out and bought a piece of software to use at work, I would be fired. 
And today, the whole paradigm has shifted, right? 52% of enterprise applications are individually sourced and procured, according to Gartner. And so individual employees, they now have the buying power in the modern companies. And the finance team is still using 20-year-old tools. And that's really where we see the opportunity for distributed spend management. So giving the capabilities that large companies have with departments and bureaucracy and democratizing that down into mid-market companies where every single employee needs to make a purchasing decision and team pay is a system by which that gets enforced, stays in compliance, and provides visibility across the organization. Okay. And how big is the company? Yeah, so we're just over 50 people. We've got uh, really ambitious growth plans here over the next year and a half. We're going to triple the team probably by the end of 2022. And so we're really just kind of at the very early edges of this journey. We've got a couple hundred customers, including over 30 to 40% of our customers are unicorn and public companies. We're supporting over 200,000 employees in their day-to-day purchasing decisions. So we've started to hit some real scale, and I think we're still very early in this journey. Okay. And you mentioned sort of the mid-market being your target. Can you kind of define what that looks like? Yeah. So we really focus on companies that have an in-house finance person, and that typically starts around 50 or 60 people. And our largest customers now have over 4,700 employees. So we kind of run the gamut. We've talked to subsidiaries of large organizations. We've actually had a couple customers, including Airbus subsidiaries, et cetera, of multinationals. They also have the problem that we solve. But I think we're very comfortable in that 50 to 5,000 employee range. And we just continually win deals and close customers in that space. They're too small to go put in a heavyweight legacy enterprise procurement system and hire a department. And they're too big to process 1,000 expense reports a month. And so that's really where we sit. Our average employee count is 920, and that really feels like kind of our sweet spot. Okay. Are there certain verticals that you target, or or does it really matter? Yeah, we really cover all verticals, right? It's the diversity of customers have actually been really shocking to me in some ways, ranging from healthcare, primary care delivery, through to medical device manufacturing, 3D printing. Crypto fintech companies, including a couple fintech companies that just went public this year. We have companies that are going through SPACs that come to us. Hardware, software, direct to consumer retail, pretty much run the gamut of all industries. I think the one thing that's in common with our customers is most companies have started in the last 15 years. And we really think of ourselves as kind of helping companies that were born digitally native use a digital process to manage and control their employee spend. Okay. And then do you go to market through a direct sales force or partnership channels? How do you go to market? Yeah, we're very fortunate in that we have a lot of very enthusiastic partners. We've shown that we can help our partners sell more, retain customers more, increase revenue. And so we find that we actually do end up working with some partnership channels. All of our sales are direct, but we work across a broader ecosystem, really selling into the office of the CFO within the mid-market. Our customers are looking for best-of-breed solutions, and they really want to simplify their lives. And so having our strong kind of partnership relationships have been very beneficial to that. Okay. And how do you price the product or sell it? Is it a SaaS product or what's the model? Yeah, we price it as a SaaS product. So really, it depends on the platform and the size of customers. So an enterprise customer that's using Workday Financials will pay more than a customer on zero. And then there's the customer has control over the configuration. So there's features and functionality, depending on the complexity of those customers' needs. 
So our sales team will work through that with the given customer to really dial in the solution that they're looking for and that makes sense. Okay. And then just curious, you know, ironically, I thought this question was going to go away when COVID started to get better, but now we're back to, seems like where we were before, but a lot of people obviously are are working from home. I would think that that would be a tailwind for your business. Yeah. I mean, it's been really dramatic for us, right? I mean, I think an office of 35 people that was in Boston in a satellite office, it's now 35 offices of one. And that's put a lot of pressure on the finance team. So over the last year, I mean, particularly in Q2 and Q3 of last year, we saw our sales cycles get cut in half and our contract values increase as customers needed to buy more features and functionality to cover more of their employees. So it's absolutely been a tailwind. I mean, fortunately, the economy has recovered much more quickly than people expected. So productivity is on the rise. There's a lot of capital flowing into companies at this point. Revenue growth is back. So we're seeing a lot of growth dynamics as well. But at the end of the day, managing a diverse and distributed workforce just creates even more challenges for finance, keeping everyone on the same policy and everyone following the same rules. And so it has been a very strong, uh, very strong tailwind for us. Yeah. And I guess your uh, employees can't walk down the hall and get approval from the CFO or get them to sign a check. Those days are, are probably gone in a lot of companies. Yeah, tap them on the shoulder, what have you, exactly. It's really interesting how moving this on to a digital medium has actually accelerated things for a lot of companies. Yeah. Well, what would you say differentiates your company from your competitors? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things that we do uniquely well, right? One is we understand the needs of a growing enterprise customer. And so most of our customers integrate multiple business systems into team pay. We sync directly into their HR system. Complex approval and workflow is really important to us as well. If you're 20 people and you don't have a lot of hierarchy, it's not a good solution for you. But if you have 200 or 2,000 people and you have different processes for different types of products, that's really our sweet spot. And so we think of ourselves really leading with the workflow, controlling the business process around spending money, very similar to what GitHub does for software production or ServiceNow does for the IT department. And I think the opportunity to do that for money is really interesting. And I think that's the part where we really stand apart is being able to go into a customer, get them up and running across multiple system integrations, hundreds of policy rules, thousands of employees, and have them using the system within four to six weeks. So I would assume every customer is a a custom integration then. Yeah. So that's one of the advantages of building modern enterprise software is that we don't do any customization. So we built a system that's highly configurable. And it's really just setting some knobs and switches, which our customer success team does as we onboard a customer. So a lot of companies already have some sort of spend policy. They already have some existing business systems. And we can plug into those systems in a matter of days and import and set up that policy in a matter of days. And so there's a lot of kind of rules of the road that are set up up front. But fortunately, we're able to do that in a very modern fast way and get people up and running pretty quickly. So we don't do any customization. We do allow for configuration and customers have been able to really satisfy their needs as complex as they are. We've seen some crazy scenarios and we've never had a situation where a customer hasn't been able to fulfill or deliver on their process. Okay. Well, where do you see the industry heading, say, in the next two to three years? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. And this goes back to a little bit of the origin story for me about TeamPay, which is if I look across modern companies today and different functions, right? HR tech, we talked a little bit about GitHub and kind of DevOps, 
We talked about IT with ServiceNow. There's all of these massive, massive businesses that help companies control and manage resources, right? And that could be people, that could be IT inventory, it could be all types of things. And there isn't a company today that helps companies manage money and how money flows through the organization. And so I think where the industry goes is we'll look back in a few years and not only will this be inevitable and obvious, I think we've already reached that point where it's inevitable and obvious, but we'll also start to appreciate that there's different segregation in the solutions across different needs of customers, right? A customer that is a restaurant has very different needs than a customer that is a marketing analytics company. And a company that is 20 or 50 people has very different needs than a company that is 5,000 people. And so I think that stratification will become more obvious in hindsight. I think there's a lot of solutions kind of across that spectrum, but they really serve different customer segments. And I think the point that this is an obvious solution, I think we've already started to cross over that. And so in the next few years, I think we're going to see a lot of attention around this. And it'll be one of the key purchases that uh, companies make as part of their operational stack. And we've seen that in our data, right? We have we have companies where people leave the finance team. We have one company where four people left the finance team and their first call was team pay. And so we're realizing as, as the market matures and as we kind of cross the chasm in the proverbial sense, this becomes really an obvious solution for our customers to put a system in place to help them manage and control spend. And that's really the vision that we had since we founded the company. It's nice to see it coming to fruition. So if you were to get your crystal ball out, what does it start to look like maybe seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years from now? Yeah, I mean, that's always a fun question, right? I mean, I think companies will look back and realize that running your money on a forgiveness model is not a good way to run a business. And so if you can run and control your money on a permission model and do that in a way that keeps the business agile, that's super important. And I think seven, eight, nine years in the future, we will actually see very different kind of patterns around that. There's a whole part of this that now can help the business be smarter. And I think ultimately, one of the reasons that I love this opportunity in this market is we're just helping companies be more efficient. And I think that really is the promise of technology is driving efficiency and being able to do that for really one of the core atoms of a business, which is its money and its expenditures and helping them be more efficient with those expenditures. So I think in seven, eight years, we're going to see all sorts of tie-ins ranging from how do you be more efficient with your vendors? How do you move money between your accounts more efficiently? How do you manage your FX risk? How do you settle up between different vendors? Those kinds of things. And I think you know it's almost hard to imagine how that looks. But at the bottom line, I think we're just going to have much more efficient businesses with much less overhead that are actually delivering superior results. And that's why we do this. Yeah. Do you think that blockchain might become a bigger component of it? I mean, I love that you bring that up, right? Because one of the advantages of our approach is that we don't actually have an opinion about how the money changes hands. And so when you look at technologies like the blockchain, I think there's a couple pieces there that are interesting. One is the ability to do massive network settlement, right? And so oftentimes when you're trying to net settle across multiple parties, you actually want to solve liquidity problems. And so having a standard on the blockchain where you can use that to solve liquidity issues and drive net settlement across multiple parties becomes really interesting, right? This is a little bit of the role that the clearinghouse Visa and MasterCard do today, right? It is helping with net settlement. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities there. And then I've been a fan of smart contracts. And I think the ability to program money 
and drive simple but effective smart contracts can create interesting opportunities within the B2B payments world as well. And I think we're just scratching the surface of what that looks like. So I do think blockchain becomes important. And really, it's not around using the technology for technology's sake, but looking at specific problems, whether it's net settlement, managing risk, derivatives, those kinds of things that I think actually the blockchain and associated technologies can help solve. Yeah, I agree with you there. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. You've talked a little bit about your your background, and I think everyone loves to hear sort of the founding story. So maybe tell us in a little more detail about how you came up with the idea. What, what were some of the first things you did? Have you raised money? Things like that. Everyone loves to hear those kinds of stories. So if you don't mind going into a little bit of that, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to sell procurement software to accounting teams. I mean, that was definitely my childhood dream. No, in all seriousness, I think a lot of it for me was just pattern recognition. And I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier. The origin story on TeamPay was really scratching my own itch. And I had contractors that I was working with. I was building out some ideas on a couple new startups that I was trying after I sold my last company. And I kept having this recurring problem of people that I didn't know and didn't trust needed to spend money. And so how do I enable people to do that in a way that's still secure and I could monitor? And what's really interesting to me is the same kind of core workflow that I built out in my own crufty prototype five years ago around request, approve, pay, and reconcile. That same workflow still holds today. And I think some of the innovation was stitching that together in a really seamless way. I spent a bunch of time looking across the market trying to figure out if this really was the business that I wanted to go into. And I think, to be frank, the financial services and the payments industry, it's just fascinating to me because there's also tremendous opportunities to drive efficiency through technology. And so I saw lots of opportunities to help businesses through that. I think the fundamental resource of a business is its capital and the capital enables the people. And so you've got to be have control over the capital. And so having had a company before and been through the process, I was very fortunate to raise a little bit of money, get the company started. And you know, starting a fintech company requires a little bit of extra work, right? In the early days, we had an extra engineer's worth of cost around compliance and financial services, right? So our cost base was just 20 to 25% higher on a very small team of four people because we had to deal with financial services and payments. And there's a lot of companies out there that have made that more accessible to startups, right? But it definitely was an early bit of a hurdle that we had to go through. And very quickly, you tried a couple different marketing strategies. We tried a couple different customers. To be honest, for four or five months, it didn't work. And finally, we landed on larger customers with an in-house finance person of 100 people. And we just saw the product take off. I remember one of our first customers kept his corporate cards locked in a drawer. And if you wanted to buy something, you had to come find him. He'd unlock the drawer and hand you the card for your department. And this was state-of-the-art five years ago. Right. And so we were very fortunate to see these examples in the wild of all these crazy things that companies did. I talked to a public company where the auditor signed off on email as a control plane. So basically, you have to copy finance. And if you CC finance for every purchase over 10,000, finance replies approve. That's not a control. Right. And so we saw all these crazy DIY systems that people were trying to do to solve this problem. And we just knew that we could build a better solution for them off of that very same core workflow. And the customers have really helped us expand based on their needs. 
And early in the journey, we started adding things like purchase orders and reimbursements because the customers were asking for it and they wanted a single system that employees could go to regardless of how they're paying for something or what they're buying. And I think that's the piece that we've really been able to simplify down. And I think good technology simplifies the process and makes it more visible and more transparent and also more controllable. And I think that's what we've been working to achieve with TeamPack. Okay. And have you raised money since the first round? Yeah, we've raised a couple rounds of financing. We've got $18 million of equity into the company. We've been relatively efficient. In the grand scheme of Silicon Valley, people celebrate spending a lot. <laughs> we actually don't. We celebrate building a good business, funding a business for 28, 29 months with $14 million of capital and continuing to grow that business 10x over that time frame is something that we're really proud of. And that's why, you know, we just continue on this trajectory and I expect we'll raise some more money in the future and just continue to grow as much as we can. And did I read somewhere that you like to code? Yeah, that's a good find. I mean, again, I've been coding since I was in grade school. So I still dabble on the engineering side, probably drive my team nuts once in a while because I probably get a little too involved in the weeds at times. But I built the very first prototype of TeamPay myself on my own laptop and use that for initial demos. Nice, nice. Well, what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one work-related thing and one personal thing. Yeah, I mean, the work-related thing, I mean, it's why I do my job is I like making stuff. I think maybe I just played with too many Legos as a kid, but I just really like building things. And that could be building products, which was the early kind of phase of this. It was building a business as we've now really started to scale into kind of product market fit. And now it's building an organization and building teams. And so along the journey, I think every day when I get up and I go to work and what I get excited about is actually making things and building something. And I think that's a very unique role of the CEOs to be able to continually build and make and reinvent. And I get really excited about that. What about on the personal side? Yeah, I mean, the life of the CEO doesn't leave a lot of time for personal time, but I think One of the things that I found that really helps me stay sane with work-life balance is just stay really active. With summer in New York, so I got a nice run on the West Side Highway this morning, played pickup, touch rugby once in a while with some friends over in Brooklyn. And then, you know, when I get to travel a little bit, I do some kite surfing and some skiing in the winter. So the active part of the lifestyle is really important to me. It gets me out of my head where I spend most of my time as a CEO and into my body and into nature. And I think that's been a really great balance for me. Okay. And I always like to ask this question because I think everyone brings a kind of a unique perspective. And I think you as a entrepreneur and a builder will have that. And it's basically your advice to someone just starting in this industry. I think you've alluded to it several times of how, how advanced it is today versus what it used to be like. And I came into payments 16 years ago where the word fintech didn't even exist. And now kids come out of college and they look at this industry and it's a hot industry, so much money being invested in it and they're like, hey, I want a career in payments or I want a career in fintech. What would your advice be to them to help them be successful in their career? Yeah, I mean, from an entrepreneurial perspective, right, I always go back to very simple core tenets, right? Understand really clearly what problem you're solving and how valuable that problem is. And I think also what's important is understand who you're solving that problem for, right? And so that was part of our initial discovery journey was I kind of had an instinct that this was a problem. We actually started with the hard part of it first, which is we only started with online purchases, which kind of seemed crazy at the time. 
We didn't have a physical card. We didn't give employees their own credit card or anything like that. We only had a system for online purchases. And I did that because I really wanted to prove that there was a problem. And that early investment and that early risk paid off because that's really where we started to excel. And then the other part of time I spent early on is understanding the needs and plights of who I was solving that problem for. And that requires a certain degree of listening. I think there's a lot of design thinking that kind of goes into that, but also just a lot of empathy, right? So the person that you're trying to sell to or the person that you're trying to build for, what are they after? What do they want out of this, right? And one of the things we realized with TeamPay is that most people, most employees only interact with their finance team when they do something wrong. Think about that. Your entire job is telling people they did something wrong bureaucratically. And that's the way finance interacts with most of the company. And so our ability to flip that script and say, look, here's the software, here's the policy, we're going to help you get to the right answer, changes the dialogue between our buyer and the employees. That's what makes this work, right? And so the only way I was able to get there was understanding with empathy the needs of the buyer. And I think that's a really important place to start. You can look at the technology, you can look at the solutions. It all comes back to people. What problem are you solving and who are you solving it for? And I think that's a really important place to start anytime you're thinking about doing something new or innovative or different. Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. Well, Andrew, we've covered a lot of ground about you, the company, where the industry is heading. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I just want to thank you for the opportunity, Greg. I mean, we're really excited about what's happening. It's been interesting to see this whole industry shift over the last five years, particularly on the B2B side from something that really nobody was paying attention to, to now probably everybody is paying attention to. And I think it's it's great. It drives a lot of innovation forward. There's a lot of awareness happening. And I think that's just good news for the future here, right? And I think it's great looking at the guests you've had on the podcast before. You're definitely talking to a lot of innovation and people that are trying to change the game here. And we're excited about where this is going. And we really believe it's still early innings. Okay. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. I know it's very valuable. I appreciate you being on the show. So thanks so much. You bet. Thanks so much, Greg. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 